Talk with Sandy and Karen. I'm Karen Jackson, and my co-host is... Sandy Banso. <laughs> Welcome, and we are welcoming our good friend for our second uh, episode in chat with Jacqueline Whiting. Before we go any further, is, are, is anyone hearing any um, uh, echoes, or is it just me? Um, you fade in and out for me, but if there's no echo, and that okay. only started when we went live. Okay, so is that better? Yes. Is there echo, echo? Okay. All right. So, yay! Welcome back. Yay. It is so good to be back. Karen, we, we can't say we have to add an additional bit. Our friend, celebrity. Yes, <laughs> and author. Yes. Yeah. Oh, thank you both. Thank you both. It's just fun to be back to, to chat with both of you. Takes us, It takes me right back to Stockholm every time I see both of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, I, I was listening to our podcast uh, we did previously and the one thing uh difference is last time we spoke it was dark and horrible and it was raining in gothenburg today it's sunny and karen mm -hmm. you're feeling the weather heads you've got like a lovely flowery yeah. on. <laughs> and well through right. summer whether it's here or not yeah. It's going to be 90 degrees Fahrenheit here today. So Ooh. summer has finally arrived. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 Well, that, be, that will be about 30 degrees. About 30, about 30 Celsius. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, it's we 22 now. So it's perfect. But wow. no sun. Mm. But that's okay. I'm not complaining. We'll get plenty of sun later, I know. Yeah, yeah. And the school year is winding down here. Are you are you done already in in Texas? And are you are you done already, Sandy? Temple is. Yeah, we've got one more week. Uh, and then we're done. Celebrations next Friday. But I mean, what's happening in Gothenburg uh, this week is uh, they're four hundred the city's four hundred years old. So there's wow. a lot of celebrations this week, not big ones. So um, they're going to celebrate in 2023. So if you can make it down to Gothenburg. <laughs> I'm all over it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Quick ride from Stockholm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So. Okay. Right, so Jackie, we we thank you for coming back to our show, our podcast, um, and we really wanted to talk about the book you have just uh, published. Mm -hmm. um, I have been uh, well; it's really good. It's so thank you. It's, yeah, it's just not full of writing. There's visuals in there. There's examples in there, and you've it's a, such a good. Um, I think so, and I think Karen thinks so. Don't know about our other listeners. Um, a really good resource to Thank have. Thank you. So tell us. Uh, I I mean I know what the book is about. Karen knows, but what tell us the listeners what is the book about? 
So the, um, I mean, you, you know, because we all we all went through it together, right? That that deep dive into um, design thinking and building a design thinking mindset when we were all together in in Stockholm and and working with Les Macbeth from Future Design School, and that that experience was so transformative for me in every aspect of my life, not just how I thought about teaching or how I thought about learning, but you know how I thought about problem solving in my community or problem solving in my family, um, how I thought about interacting with my colleagues. And that was also the point in my life when I had transitioned from the classroom into library media. And then I transitioned again from library media into instructional coaching. And that's really the root for where the conversations that I have in the book came from because that idea of, of design thinking, I think for a lot of people, they think of it as a process, right? That there's there's steps, that it's a cycle, an iterative reflective cycle. And, and there is an, an iterative reflective aspect to it. But to me, it's much more of a mindset. So I like to say that design is a process and design thinking is a mindset. And when you bring the mindset and the process together, that can really be transformative in how people teach, learn, interact, and, and problem solve. And I was, you know, been working with, with teachers on um, how to make their, their learning experiences in their classrooms more student-centered, how to shift their pedagogy so that the the focus of the work and the questioning and the learning was was on giving students agency over those processes and letting the teacher become the facilitator of them, but not the director of them. Um, and what I found was in all of the conversations I was having with people that I was really bringing all of those elements of a design thinking um, mindset and a design process to how I was helping teachers to unpack what was happening in their classrooms and help them to think about different questions that they could be asking students to know them better as people and as learners, um, to know them beyond their data because the data is important to inform instructional decisions, but it's only a piece of the information, right? And so as we began, as, as I began working with teachers and they began embracing this mindset, it was really helping them make major shifts, not just little minor tweaks to what they were doing, but major shifts in how they thought about what an experience in their classroom should should be like. And so that's where you know everything in the book comes from. It's that how do I really get to know the people in my learning community so that when I am making both individual and collective decisions, we're doing it in the interest of increasing people's agency over themselves as learners, whether those learners are students, adolescents or children in a classroom or adults who are learning and improving their pedagogy and, and expanding their instructional strategies. That is so empowering. I just, that's what I kept thinking when you were saying that is that it gives teachers the power to design their instruction based on what their students need right then. And I just, that's, that's all. That's really great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You know, and, and I, um, 
I wrote the book with so many different stakeholders in mind, right? To use a, a design terminology. Um, yeah. I thought about students who might be indirect um, stakeholders, right? If their if their teachers' pedagogy shifts, then they are the the benefactors of that, or beneficiaries of that. Um, but I also thought about administrators who are charged with um, organizing professional learning for for teachers according to a, a calendar schedule, right? And and how do those experiences now become designed with? the wide range of stakeholders in a school in mind, right? So frequently as a deliverer of PD, I hear it all the time, right? I'll, I'll be working with a group of teachers, for example, um, CTE teachers, right? Technology education. And, and they'll say, oh my gosh, you actually know that we're not math teachers. Normally we just get thrown in with the math people and it's irrelevant to us. Or school counselors who say, oh, you're actually talking to us about the ways in which we work with kids and families. You're not just throwing us into general ed and we can't find something that's relevant to us. So, so I had those kinds of, of people in, in mind as I was working on, on the book and putting it together. And so I went out to, to interview a lot of people who I knew had this mindset that is just how they how they navigate the world and how they navigate their their schools and let their stories illustrate how these ideas and these habits of mind how they actually play out when you're when you're using them with people who you live in and work with and so you know it starts with personas which are fictitious and then moves into the real people telling their telling their real stories so I hope that there's something in there for people, no matter what their role in a in a learning community happens to be. Now I um, saw you also had a chapter about distance learning. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you're probably the first one out of the cohort, or uh, just said, right, yeah, here's my book, but let's not forget about what we're all going through, which I thought was a, a really good um, concept as well thank you and and uh, you know that i was writing it before the school shutdowns happened and then that put up the the pandemic put a pause on it right because my mm -hmm. my publisher people were furloughed and they they slowed down their operations and that gave me a moment to stop and go back and say if this isn't going to come out until we're working our way out of the pandemic then i can take this slow down time and, and use it to really talk about how is this process applicable no matter where you are and what's happening to you. And so I started really thinking about teachers who were making the necessary pedagogical shifts to, to keep students engaged, learning meaningfully, to continue to give them agency over their learning regardless of the learning paradigm they were in because it was always so fluid, right? Like wow. we went from all in the classroom, brick and mortar to all out. And then when we started to come back in, that circumstance was changing on a weekly, bi-weekly, if not daily basis for some people, being concurrent, being hybrid, being fully remote, trying to all be back in at school. And so this kind of a of a mindset that says let's embrace the problem and not push the problem away 
it's the problem is something for us to embrace because within the problem are the resources that we need to begin to implement different ways of navigating the problem, even if it's not solving the problem. So we weren't going to solve COVID, but we could find creative and impactful and meaningful ways to continue teaching and learning in impactful ways that then we can carry through after the, the pandemic when we do return to whatever the next phase of normal happens to be. Right. And so it is exactly in those circumstances where that curveball comes out of left field that that kind of a mindset is so important. Absolutely. Sorry, I thought I forgot I was muted. <laughs> As always. It has to happen at least once in every virtual conversation, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> oh, so do you think that I've been thinking a lot about writing lately and I know, of course, we always, as a writing uh, teacher, we always in, encourage our students to think about the reader, you know, think about who this is for. And it sounds like you kind of had a different emphasis midstream because of the pandemic. Was that, was that, what was that experience like? Did you did, were you were you concerned at all that it might change what the the outlook of the book was and just I mean like your initial goal and everything? I mean, how was that as an author? Yeah, Karen, that is that's that's so interesting because as a coach, my concern is that we, the collective royal educational we, <laughs> aren't going to find or make the space to reflect on what pandemic teaching was for us in the way that I think we really need to. Yeah. I think it's so important for learning communities, schools for with, with that teach students of any age, for the for the teachers and the adults, the staff in the building to go through a, a really deep reflective process on how did I learn to be a teacher during a pandemic? Because none of us, uh, no matter what, you know, bachelor's or master's program or educational certification program you go through, nobody practices or learns or explores how to teach in the circumstances we just taught in, which means all of us have an opportunity now to say, hang on a second, instead of thinking about how did I teach, this is an opportunity for me to think about how did I learn? And yeah. if I can engage with other adults who are also educators, who went through their own version of this pandemic teaching experience, if we can engage in conversation about how we learned, that can yeah. go so far to help us to understand what it truly means to differentiate learning experiences, what it truly means to have agency over the path, the pace, the time, and the place of your, of your learning. And then to be able to transfer that and say, how do I make sure 
that every student that I come in contact with during the day has that same opportunity to have agency over path, pace, time, place of learning so that it is meaningful to them yeah. and they are getting what they what they need, right? And so that's really what what kind of gave me that that push when I was writing about that in the book was hoping for that time and space to be made, right? Like mm -hmm. we can't move from pandemic teaching back to the classroom because it is going to be as um, as jarring to go back to the classroom as it was to leave the classroom, right? Um, yeah. Because so much has happened. We've been tested and we've triumphed and we've failed in a lot of ways. And the only way we grow from that is if we take the time to to reflect upon it. And so really that's what was going through my head when when I was when I was writing and then the pandemic happened and then I started to incorporate those those ideas into the book. How important it's going to be for us to make meaning of what we've done and why we've done it so that we go forward bringing the best of that back into classrooms with us. I think one of the key factors I can take away is I've been uh, on my own as a teacher, I had no one to um, collaborate with. Sometimes I think I've just given Karen headaches. I'd say, what can I do? <laughs> but um, but it's, I think it's been tough. And, uh, and, and like you said, reflection. If I reflect at myself that my year has been this year, it's, I've been the worst teacher this year. You know, I don't, I mean... I, I felt like I haven't given what I wanted to give to the students. And, you know, the students have done an amazing job. They've learned so much. But on their own, I just felt like I didn't – usually I like to give, like, go around the classroom, see what everyone's doing, see who I can help with. And I couldn't do that. Yeah. So, but And so your, your students demonstrated incredible resilience. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, and in, an incredible agency, and I think that that's the that's the piece for a lot of us to take away from this. When we think about, you know, I, I've talked with teachers and and with administrators who are, co are concerned about students with whom they they lost contact and and students whose performance by whatever metric fell below what what had been typical for them. I think it's as important as it is to understand what happened to and for those students and, and what choices those students made or felt were available to them, it's as important to look at ways that students thrived and how many of those ways in which they thrived were not things that were open to them prior yeah. to the pandemic. How mm -hmm. do we keep that open for students who found a path to fulfillment and satisfaction and learning and 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 success. Mm. No, definitely. Um, uh, I, I just hope it gets. Uh, I don't know more in class though. I you know, I think yeah. as a teacher we miss that. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it, and that, just, and the the relationships will be different, right? Yes, and 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 if we take the time to make meaning of it, they will be better. Yeah, different and better, and that's good. I think it came from uh, how do we get 
as an instructional technology specialist, uh, how do we get devices into the hands of students? It, the question became, how do we teach them when when they only are using what they have, you know, using what they have already? So I think also there, there were a lot of create, creative methods used that, that we never even thought about before. Mm -hmm. Like so much can be done with the phone. And we, we talked to someone in India and he was talking about how they, the, the country put educational coursework on the TV because you have one on one, if a family only had a TV and a phone, you could have one student on the phone and one watching TV learning, you know? And, and, yeah. and he said, and the byproduct of that was that many parents were learning because that was the family device. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, That's so cool. Oh, it was just uh, so many things I never even thought about are yeah. positive things. And, and, you know, that's also that's also a piece of the, the equity issues around all of this that that we cannot brush aside or or, or overlook. Um, you know, the same device in every student's hands isn't necessarily equity. It isn't equity. Right. It it may be everybody has the same thing, but it's not necessarily as useful to some as it might be. To, to, to others and, and different students needed different things. And we just, we were triaging, right? So we didn't, we didn't have the, the space, the bandwidth for even being able to understand that until we began, we began doing it. And so um, this is an opportunity to do better by each student according to each student's needs. And I, I think that that's, you know, that's, that's our challenge going going forward it has always been our challenge but now it's a challenge yeah. that that we will i think undertake um and i love the the byproduct of trying to problem solve for multiple children in a household has this you know extra benefit of we're providing educational content to other people that we hadn't even anticipated would then be able to to access it and that's you know that's really powerful um, in my in my work with with districts, district leaders, or or school teams, and even individual teachers, um, I just I kept emphasizing the lowest possible access point. Right, that's the that's the technology you want to to be leveraging with your students. Something that requires nothing more than a cell phone at at you know. To, to still fully function, right? So yeah. things like Jamboard and things like Flipgrid, there is no diminished experience for a student in their ability to digest or create and share content on those two platforms, whether they're on a desktop computer, a laptop computer, a Chromebook, an iPad, or, or a cell phone, they still have the robust ability to interact, create, contribute, and, and learn. Um, and so those are the those are the tools that I was that I was recommending to people um, for that very reason of we don't we don't all have the the same access to to connectivity or devices. Yeah. Um, also, in your in your book, and I think it's something you also uh, touched upon at the beginning. Um, it was the last chapter. Mindset uh, matters. So, what can you say about that? Yeah, so you know, 
I, I had an interaction with a with a teacher um, during the during the shutdown. We were we were a couple of months in, so you know that's more than a year ago now, right? And we had a we had a, a mid morning meeting scheduled, and when she when she dialed in, I said, "So how are you doing today?" And she said, "Today's a good day. I've only cried twice so far." Mm-hmm. And I did. Whoa! Let's we're, we're just hit the pause button, right? Like this is not time to be talking about Google Slides if this is how this conversation <laughs> be, began, right? And mm-hmm. so the the whole idea of of mindset is so nuanced and and layered that you you need to have a mindset of of optimism right problems problems are universal challenges are are ubiquitous no matter what we're trying to do um but if you approach them from a place of optimism and on the other side of this problem is rich learning experiences for all of us teachers and students then engaging in that problem and engaging in the process of understanding it and unpacking it and beginning to understand how the people who live with the problem do live with the problem and navigate it. What solutions have people tried before? Why haven't those solutions worked? What needs do I need to understand in order to really be solving this with with equity and, and empathy? the the human growing that happens in that process is so powerful and the connections that people build with one another when they begin to engage in problem solving in that way are really really strong bonds so at a time when we particularly where i'm dialing in from today in the united states at a time where it's so divisive um, being able to approach classroom challenges, community challenges, global challenges from that kind of a perspective with, with the optimism that's necessary for real problem solving um, makes, a, makes a big difference in what everyone's experience is throughout the process, not just on the other side, when hopefully we're, we're in a solution that's working for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think I agree, I, I agree with you. And I think that you've got some vision. Our listeners cannot see this, but great visuals. Thank you. Brains. <laughs> Thank you. I think Thank the you. template's really good. So if we wanted to give it to our students and say, okay, tell us what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I, I did that on purpose. I, I Forgive me for the term I'm about to use, but I've seen it used in what I think are some pretty good texts, so I'm going to use it. Um, for me, it's a cross between a professional text and a professional workbook because I wanted people to engage in the 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 processes and the exercises that I explain and outline in the book as they went, and at the same time be able to have 
all of those materials that they can now duplicate and use with colleagues or or with students in the in the classroom whether we're doing a, a problem solving unit in in a classroom or i'm bringing together a committee of people in my school to try to address an issue that we're having in this in in the school all of the tools in there are applicable in any of those situations curricular or policy um, I had said to, to both of you earlier that I, I use a lot of what's in the book in professional learning that I do. And I've been doing professional learning with some administrators, some, some building principals. And we, we spent, we spent, did six sessions together. We spent four of those sessions on user discovery, understanding the stakeholders, and understanding the problem. And we didn't get to beginning any ideation around solutions until we were into session five. So really like the crux of the work is in that building understanding of the, of the community. So with those, with those um, administrators, I used the personas at the beginning of the book. And it was very interesting to watch and listen as they were trying to unpack their their those personas um it was so interesting to to hear that they were immediately connecting the the persona they were working with with a member of their faculty that they there were a couple of things in there that triggered a connection and now they're thinking about that member of their faculty and and now they're going through the struggle of objectively understanding that member of their faculty, someone who they've known for a very, very long time and, and learning to suspend whatever prejudgment they bring about that person because of interactions they've had with them and being able to see assets and skills and talents in that person to which they'd been blinded previous and, and be able to see the challenges that that person faces through that person's lens, through that person's mm -hmm. perspective, which I, I had multiple multiple administrators said, can we postpone next week's session? I need another week. I wanna go do more of these interviews. Mm -hmm. And that to me was the really powerful yeah. moment that they were able to see, I've been building policy, implementing policy, enforcing policy, based on assumptions about people that I now know are false assumptions. And everything that I everything that I do is so much better if I actually yeah. engage in these conversations with people. That's good. Yeah. That's really awesome. It's uh, helping people realize, um, and it kind of gives them strength and uh, boldness. You know, I love using personas and scenarios I don't know, I guess because you're kind of, then you stand beside yourself and you mm -hmm. can look at yourself and solve someone else's problem, although that person is you. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I mean, think about, think about the, the first days of school, right? I mean, I know we're just wrapping up the, the year that we're in. And so we all take a deep breath, but then we're going to start to think about, about the fall and think about what a school year is like if it begins with stakeholder empathy. If it begins with students interviewing one another, interviewing teachers, teachers interviewing students, teachers interviewing each other to learn about them 
in the ways that these kinds of tools make possible. Now, as a teacher, if I've had that kind of an exchange with each of my students and I supplement that with whatever legacy data comes, comes along with them, I can make really powerful decisions about the, the resources I'm going to introduce in class, about the opportunities that I'm going to provide students for accessing that information, for showing what they know and what they can do, um, and much more aid, give them much more agency over that because I've heard from them what it is that, that ignites their curiosity and their passion and what it is that they're proud of and what it is that they want to be able to, to share with people. And so that's why it is student-centered learning by design, right? That's, mm -hmm. uh, that's where the title came from. So can you, I mean, I, you've given us an example of administrators using this. Mm -hmm. um, I can see the design side of using this. Mm -hmm. Can you give us other subjects, examples like English or history, just briefly so we can let our listeners? Yeah, yeah ab absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I actually worked with a social studies teacher doing, doing this kind of, of work, and um, he, had, he had been doing uh, work with students on um, a big essential question about like what is progress? Um, and what is civilization and what is community? I mean, they had had these really potent essential questions. And he then posed to them a challenge that we have answered all of these questions through our own lenses and our own experiences. And if we look around the room, there's a lot of similarity in our experiences because we've grown up together in this community and we've gone to school together for many, many, many years. And we need to stop now and acknowledge that the way in which we have understood history is limited by that. And so the challenge that he gave them was to understand progress and understand community from perspectives that were very, very different than their own. And that empowered the students to define the community that they wanted to gain understanding of and then begin this process of finding people that they could talk to, whether it was um, you know, through social media or through email conversation or in-person conversation if they could um, and build profiles of real people and begin to revisit how they answered course essential questions based on this expanded perspective from other people's lived experiences so different from their own. Hmm. Yeah, and you've given some other examples um, in the book. So it's, it mm -hmm. is really open from, from young age to right through the adult age, you know. So Absolutely. It, so, it, so it's very resourceful. Yeah, and the, the examples, they're, they're basically North American examples. Some educators in Canada, educators in the United States, um, talking about, you know, Rachel Swanson talked about when she was an elementary school teacher in Chicago and um, how students brought to her attention a bullying problem in the in the classroom and how she just 
put aside regular programming to bring students into a conversation about what is bullying, what does that mean, what, when does it happen, why does someone engage in this behavior, how does someone become the target of this behavior. And, and her elementary students came up with a tremendous solution to the bullying problem um, in her classroom that she said, if I had just said, oh, we have a bullying problem, here's what I'm going to do about it as the teacher, she never would have come up with anything as effective as what the students decided as a community was gonna solve this problem in their, in their classroom, mm -hmm. right? Emma Cottier talks about how she uses this process for helping students to understand characters in literature and, and actually get at liter literary character analysis through a design process as they're, as they're reading. So many different options and possibilities for how to use it. So this is your second book? It is, yes. Yes. And the first book was called News Literacy. Yes. Yeah. And that was my, so it's, in, it's interesting because it's, you know, the innovator, the being a certified innovator and that, that academy and that network is really a thread that connects these because when, when I applied to the academy back in 2017, um, Stanford History Education Group, SHEG, had just released their watershed report, Civic Online Reasoning, about students, middle school, high school, college age, and, and their what Shegg called abysmal ability to understand information that they were accessing online. That informed my, my initial innovator project. And what I've been doing since then has kind of emanated from that my my work on media literacy resulted in in me co-authoring that that book um, and then my my continued work with with news literacy and media literacy got me into a deep dive into social emotional learning and the connection between social emotional wellness and our susceptibility to disinformation that we encounter in in any form um, and social emotional learning got me back into the student centered aspect of this. And then design thinking has been the umbrella that has kind of pulled all of that together. So in, in my mind, it's, it's all connected. It's all part of a very logical, very logical journey. So that means a book three. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy that I actually can just like hold a copy of book two for a little while. <laughs> but maybe, maybe it'll be in there. <laughs> and there's an ebook format as well? Yes, there is an ebook format. Yes, yes. That's great. Yeah, That's awesome. thank you. Thank you. Is there anything else that you wanted to chat about, Jackie, while we're here? No, I think your your questions were awesome. I I I loved it. This was this was really great. It was so good to to connect with both of you. I mean, we can we can chat and socialize as soon as we hop on a <laughs> hop yeah. on a call together. But this was a this was a really cool kind of dive into my into my brain and my heart. And so I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, nice. yeah. I really enjoyed. I just. I just really love love talking with you, and uh, that you are so open to chat. And uh, 
we can talk deep stuff. We can talk shallow stuff. It's it's fine. And, uh, that's that's what I enjoy about having you as a guest. Thank, Thank you, you so much. <laughs> You sent me a text? Okay. Oh, I don't secret back channel communication. I don't have a phone. <laughs> I said, uh, Jack is a wonderful person. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love being here with both of you. Uh, um, it's, it's been so fun. And I think seeing um, our friends grow it's amazing yeah. yeah you know when you when you were when you were talking about being a teacher alone and not having a, a co-teacher right that that's what what makes stuff like this so important is the opportunity to to find those thought partners and yeah. people who will ask you really important questions that help you ask me important questions that help me reflect in more depth on something that has been a passion project for for a really long time, and and that's the that's the value of these ongoing relationships that that we have carried forward now since 2017 with us. So I really appreciate it. No, absolutely. Okay. Oh, okay. So I just I don't want to end it, but I suppose we should. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jackie, you're always welcome to come back and chat with us. And uh, thank you to our listeners. And uh, we, we just uh, enjoy bringing these conversations to you. Uh, Sandy and I uh, hope that, that our listeners would join us again and share if, uh, if they feel so led. Um, we uh, are found at, at chatwsk1 on all social media places and also where you can get some high quality podcasts. So we thank you again, Jackie, and uh, and hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. You both as well. Thank you. Bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.